This is Galatians 5, verses 22 through 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. This is the word of the Lord. Um, I'd like to introduce our speaker today. Um, Today we're going to welcome Jim Anger as our preacher. Jim Jim is going to be the church planting pastor for Liberty uh, Collingswood, the newest Liberty church plant. Uh, He, his wife Emily, and their four kids are getting set up in Collingswood. So um, I would ask you to welcome welcome him this morning. Additionally, um, Jim is a friend of mine from when they and I both lived on the same street in West Philly, so he's very familiar with West Philly and Philadelphia in general. Um, And I can attest to their hospitality, their hilarity, and their love of a good Sazerac. So get to know them. And um, Jim, welcome this morning. Hi, everybody. I'm Jim. Good to see everybody. Oh, there's... Okay. Got it. Okay. So, um, if, uh, so if any of my jokes bomb, I'm just going to say, hey, Dave said that I was hilarious. That's supposed to be... Talk to him. He said I was funny. Okay. Is this the right, about the right? Who knows? Yeah. Okay, ju- uh, just FYI, Dave, or, or let's do a mic check. Can, am I talking too loud or too soft? Can you hear me? Okay, good. Uh, the, the real story is that the power actually came back on two days ago, but I asked the staff to keep the power off to highlight how versatile and humble I am <laughs> that, that I can preach in any, any circumstance at all, so... So, so here we go. <laughs> yeah, is it working? <laughs> so far, so good. Maybe. Uh, yeah, so, so uh, we are residents of New Jersey as of three weeks ago. Come visit Collingswood. And uh, like Dave said, I am the church planting pastor uh, for uh, Liberty Collingswood. And it's funny because I ask, or there are neighbors and stuff that ask me as we've moved in and stuff, uh, so what do you do? Why do you come here? And I say, well, I'm a pastor. And and they say, okay, what church do you pastor? And I kind of say, I, I don't pastor a church. I don't have a church. And they say, wait, but you just said that. And so I explained that there's no church in Collingswood yet. Uh, but by the grace of God, he will raise up uh, missionaries, people to live for Jesus and be the, the very presence of Jesus and loving and speaking and serving in Collingswood in that area of southern New Jersey uh, for the good of the kingdom of God. And uh, just by way of blurb... Um, we are having prayer meetings that are going to lock into an every other Monday evening schedule. So if you want to come out and pray with people that are already praying for God to do a work here, uh, just come on out. Um, and I am Jim at liberty.org. So just, just give me an email if you want more info. And we'll go from there. It, uh, it should be fun. Uh, but part of not having an actual church to pastor right now is that I can be a little bit of a free agent and, and preach in different contexts. And I was grateful that uh, Scott and the elders asked me to come here uh, to preach to you this morning. Uh, very nice, very fun. And uh, Scott said, okay, we're, we're preaching in the fruit of the Spirit. And I said, that sound, sounds good. What, uh, what do you want me to preach on? And he said, the last two, uh, gentleness and self-control. And honestly, I had a little bit of a letdown uh, with, with gentleness and self-control because I felt like I was getting like the, the, uh, the caboose of, of the fruits of the Spirit, the, the ones that are kind of lame. 
compared to some of the others. Uh, so like love, joy, peace, uh, the beginning of the fruit of the Spirit that, that Dave read, those are awesome. And I think they're, they're compelling. They, they grab you. They're powerful. And self-control and gentleness, uh, not, not so much really, right? And, but, but I think God had a plan in all of the different, you know, the leadership retreat this weekend for Liberty Fairmount and our being here, et cetera. Uh, I was kind of disappointed that, that I got the caboose of the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, but then I looked at my life, and so we've been moving, it, it seems like, for half a year. Uh, uh, a family move cross-country with, with four kids isn't just like, you know, I got another apartment a couple blocks away can somebody move my couch? It's a bigger deal than that. Um, uh, I probably shouted at my kids more in the past two months uh, than I have in the previous five years. And I've probably been, been more testy with my wife, Emily. Uh, she still loves me. They're in the back. Lo- love you, baby. Um, uh, I've been testier with her in the past two or three months than at any other period in my marriage. So kind of ironically... Scott asked me to preach on gentleness and self-control. I thought it was a letdown. But then thinking through the, the recent history of anger, uh, these are the two fruit of the Spirit that I really need. And these are the two aspects of the fruit of the Spirit where I'm really striking out in a major, major, major way. Even this morning, we're going to see the uh, Phillies game at, at, at 1 o'clock. Uh, me and my, and my, and my two boys... Uh, we couldn't get the tickets to print. There's got to be like a big German word for like needing something to print out of your printer and you don't have enough time and like that specific type of angst, uh, printer, like printer not working angst, big German word. Uh, so, so it's like total stress and pandemonium trying to get out the door to church uh, but not having the Phillies tickets. So all over again, I was shouting at everybody. Uh, not exercising gentleness and self-control. So, so I need this fruit. Personally, I need this fruit. And, and most likely, uh, a lot of the friction and static we feel on a daily basis is because we and others around us need that fruit too, as does our world. Uh, so God's providence taking us to these two aspects of the fruit. Uh, we're going to break it up into three parts from here. Uh, gentleness and self-control, number one, why, it's, why these are culturally unattractive virtues. Secondly, why they should be attractive and then third, how we can grow. Uh, so culturally unattractive, why they should be attractive, and how we can grow. And uh, just mic checking again, if throughout this, the service I get too quiet, uh, just kind of raise the roof in the back a little bit to let me know that I need to, uh, to keep the volume up. Or if I'm too loud, just, you know, <laughs> go like that. Um, so gentleness and self-control, culturally unattractive. I'm not going to take a ton of time to define gentleness and self-control, they're pretty self-explanatory, both as we have them in English and even the, the Greek words, uh, Paul wrote uh, Galatians in Greek, self-explanatory. Uh, but let's just observe that these two, again, are, are not sexy virtues. So if, if you're going somewhere uh, for muscles and doubles and you overhear a conversation at the next table, uh, a group of people saying, uh, let me tell you how, how hot my boyfriend or my girlfriend is. My, my boyfriend or my girlfriend... He or she is so gentle. Wouldn't that kind of be like, you know, you're building up, kind of like the joke that I just told a second ago. You're, you're building up, and then it's, it's, a, it, it's kind of a letdown. Um, 
you know, see what I did? The, it's, um, gentleness is, is seen as weakness. It's seen as weakness. A uh, book that was written, I think, in the 1970s, I like to read a lot of fiction. Uh, an author named James Salter wrote a book called Light Years. And just in the middle of the book, here's a, here's a description of somebody. He had friends, speaking of one of the characters. People admired his work. He was, after all, a good father. That is to say, an ineffective man. Real goodness was different. It was irresistible, murderous. It had victims, like any other aggression. In short, it conquered. But we must be vague. We must be gentle. So you hear the sarcasm there. Gentility as a virtue is for weak and ineffective people. But that's not really the biblical picture. Uh, For example, Jesus is gentle. He says in the Bible, he says in the the New Testament, for I am gentle. But in one of the places where we read the context of Jesus saying that he's gentle, uh, from Matthew chapter 11, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Is that kind of gentleness from Jesus really a bad thing? And also, as we see Jesus in the, in the narratives of his life, living gentle Jesus, being gentle doesn't mean that you're a wimp and, and, and lack power. The same Jesus, we read about him in Mark, and he looked out at them, the Pharisees, with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man with the withered hand, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. This gentle Jesus was full of power. And this gentle Jesus is the same that cleansed the temple and drove out the money changers. So I think at the very least, as we have some cultural cognitive dissonance, is gentleness a good thing or a bad thing? Looking at Jesus, who is gentle, among other things in the gospel, should cause us to to rethink a little bit, although still face value may be culturally unattractive. And then self-control. When I was meeting with with Dave and some other people in the upper room, is that what it's called, in the upper room uh, before the service, Dave said that he was going to do a Fabio imitation. No, no, he said he was not going to do a Fabio. Sorry, I, I, I remember that wrong. Um, uh, do we remember Fabio, everybody? I'm a child of the 90s, so Fabio was big then, the, the long-haired Italian buff model. So, so, so picture Fabio, and I'm going to do my best uh, Fabio imitation. Not that he would actually be hired to do this now, but I just like Fabio. It's a thing. Come to Liberty. He's going to be our worship director at, at Liberty Collingswood. Uh, Played on alternate Sundays by me and Todd Putman. We'll, we'll be Fabio. The, um, uh, you're not going to have Fabio say, I am coming out with a new fragrance line. The name of my new fragrance line is self-control. <laughs> not a sexy virtue. At all. And... Like, a little more seriously than that, uh, in, in our current cultural moment, uh, self-control can be looked at with a lot of suspicion. Uh, it's repressive. If you exercise self-control, you are a self or others repressed person. Uh, one of the musical genres I like uh, from a little while ago, vintage funk. Uh, does anybody know Charles Wright and the 103rd, uh, the Watts 103rd Rhythm Band? Uh, their biggest hit... Uh, in the late 60s was Express Yourself, if you know the song. Uh, you would be hard-pressed as a funk uh, musician to get a record contract saying that you want to 
come out with an album focusing on self-control. It's kind of the opposite. Uh, it's express yourself. And if you exercise self-control and rein yourself in, in existentialist terms, that you're exercising bad faith. That's not who you are. You've got to be who you are. And so here is Paul saying, we need gentleness. We need self-control. Are these even good things? But again, to, to go back into the original context here, this idea or virtue of self-control was in the cultural drinking water. Aristotle, centuries before this, in his Nicomachean Ethics, uh, talks about self-control. And I'm not sure if Paul is directly referencing Aristotle here, but it was still just, just a common cultural currency to talk about self-control and have echoes of Aristotle. For Aristotle, self-control meant you still had passions, you still were a person of powerful passions, but you controlled them and marshaled them for good. A self-controlled person was not this wimp or a Vulcan that just had, had no emotions, and self-control is easy, but instead you had the strength to resist temptation and resist evil. And again, is that really such a bad thing? And taking a view of biblical self-control again, as we see it used in the Old Testament and the New Testament... Uh, there, is a def uh, there is a dimension to, to self-control uh, in the sexual sphere. Many times self-control applies to sexual things. And, and this, again, is choppy cultural waters. Uh, very uncool to talk about uh, self-control, especially coming from the Bible, uh, when, when we're addressing our sexuality. Uh, in fact, it's not only uncool, it's toxic, it's bad, it's evil. Uh, to, to think about self-control in those terms. Uh, but I would want to suggest again, let's take a step back from that and think about how much hurt has occurred in our world from people not exercising se sexual self-control. Things like rape and abuse and human trafficking or maybe less dramatically, uh, but, but just as hurtfully, how many relationships and families have been wrecked by, by pornography or affairs, when, when self-control sexually was not exercised. So do we really want to dismiss this idea of self-control as being a virtue that's antiquated from an earlier time, completely culturally unattractive to us now? Let's get rid of it. It might be harmful for us. Which leads us into why uh, gentleness and self-control should be attractive to us, even living in this cultural moment. Let's reflect and even admit that a lack of gentleness and self-control wrecks our world. Not the only things, not exclusively wrecks our world, but over and over and over again, peoples, either individually or as cultures, not exercising gentleness and self-control mess things up. A lack of gentleness means that we have a world of violence and evil. And I think we recognize that, that this is a world of violence and evil, a mid-20th century novel that I like a lot. And I've quoted this book a lot over the years in my previous church context, so and we're going to a Henderson the Rain King again. She, she's tired of Henderson, but, you know, she's married to me, so she's tired of a lot of things. The, um, Saul, Saul Bellow uh, wrote Henderson the Rain King, and one person tells Henderson, the main character at one point, Oh, Henderson, man cannot keep still under the blows. Those primeval blows everybody still feels. So the people are flinching yet. All wish to rid themselves and free themselves and cast the blow upon others. 
Saul Bellow is deceased now. He, he's a person that, by his, own, by his own statement, said that, that he had no religious affiliation or convictions at all. But still, when it, one of his main characters recognizes that, that, that we all flinch under blows that have been given to one another, and we try to hit other people with it. Or Vladimir Nabokov, mid-20th century again. Panin, uh, another book, and that main character says, Some people, and I am one of them, hate happy endings. We may or may not agree with that, but Panin goes on to say, we feel cheated because harm is the norm. That's our world. Harm is the norm. Because harm is the norm and we give blows to one another all the time as individuals and as cultures and as nations, is gentleness really that bad? Should we scorn it? Or again, going to self-control, Tell an abused child that sexual self-control is a bad thing. Isn't it extremely naive about human nature for us to scorn self-control? Again, Ambrose Bierce, uh, essayist from the 19th century, again not a Christian who actually hated religion, still wrote in an essay, a writer should free himself to be a good writer of all doctrines, theories, etiquettes, and politics. So just get rid of all presuppositions, but then he turns around and says, a writer still must know and have an ever-present consciousness that this is a world of fools and rogues, tormented with envy, consumed with vanity, selfish, false, cruel, cursed with illusions. This is us. Or going back to Henderson, the Rain King, Henderson says, a ceaseless voice in my heart says, I want, I want, I want, oh, I want. Isn't that your experience also? When in a deep way, central to who we are, there's a voice that says, I want, I want, I want, I want. And therefore, self-control is good. And to bring it home, kind of ideas, cultural theory aside, through this lens, haven't you struggled, if you come here as a Christian or as a non-Christian here this morning, or uh, I don't know what I am, in between somewhere, haven't you struggled with gentleness and self-control this week? even. Haven't you acted out lacking those things in some way? And hasn't not exercising gentleness and self-control hurt other people around you even very recently? We have all of these coping mechanisms and strategies where we say, okay, I'm, I'm gentler than the person next to me. That guy's a jerk. Or, okay, I'm, I'm self-controlled in many, many ways, and the fact that I'm running off the rails in these few areas, not having self-control, that's really okay. Those are all coping, me- coping mechanisms or cop-outs. A lack of gentleness and a lack of self-control wrecks our world. But then flip it around, on the other hand, and let's notice or let's recognize Or let's imagine a world instead that would be filled with gentleness and with self-control. Really, all of the fruit of the Spirit that that you've been hearing and talking about over these weeks at, at Liberty Fairmount. Just imagine a world that is marked by gentleness and self-control. Isn't that a world that you would want to live in? A world full of gentleness and self-control, not to mention love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and gentleness and self-control, 
Isn't that a world where you would live there and say, I am proud to be a human being. I'm not ashamed of us and ashamed of me anymore. Yes. And I think oftentimes a default position of people, and maybe you wrestle with some of these same, same things, some skepticism about Christianity. There's, a, there's at least a lurking suspicion in the back of our minds somehow that Christianity is bad for the world. Is it really that simple? As Jesus calls us to exercise things like these, and, and apart from a world, imagine yourself. Imagine yourself still you, but possessed more of gentleness and self-control. Wouldn't you be a better person if that were true of you? Or think about your past. Maybe your recent past, maybe your past past. Just imagine where you would be today, what your life would be like, and how your past would be different if you had exercised more gentleness and more self-control at those pivotal moments. Wouldn't you be a whole person? Wouldn't we be a whole world? And so far and away and removed from gentleness and self-control as the caboose of the fruit of the Spirit, kind of lame, not very exciting, aren't these nothing less than windows that give us hope for our world and hope for us? So then how do we grow? Let's put it this way. Here Here is... how we don't grow. Okay, maybe, okay, uh, Fabio aside, gentleness and self-control might actually be good things. How do I do that more? Well, I think a common strategy that at the end of the day might not really work that well is just to say, I'm going to try harder. I don't have a ton of gentleness and self-control in my life, uh, but maybe I haven't been trying as hard as I can or as hard as I should. I'm going to do better. Or maybe I just need to, um, you know, from a Christian perspective, uh, tattoo this verse somewhere in my body or put it on my fridge and just say gentleness, self-control over, 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 over again. When, when we're treating it really as just a rule. Okay, this is what I need to be. Here's the rule. I've got to do it. I've got to do it. I've got to do it. Is that going to work? Uh, Henderson, the ranking, one more time. Henderson says, yes. I thought, I believed I could change. I was willing to overcome my old self, yes. To do that, a man had to adopt some new standard. So he's saying, okay, I'm going to get a new set of rules. He must even force himself into a part. Maybe he must deceive himself for a while until it begins to take. His own hand paints again on that much-painted veil. Uh, Do you think Henderson the Rain King, if you haven't read the book, has a happy ending? With Henderson telling himself, I'm just going to adopt this new standard and even fool myself into being a better person. Uh, it, it doesn't end well for him. Or at another point of the, bur- of the book, he summarizes it this way, change must be possible. If not, it's too damn bad. You can hear just, just the skepticism seeping in. So if all it is for us is, I need this more and I'm going to try harder, we're going to fail. We're going to fail. Uh, the next time you hear a New Year's sermon, like, like somebody preaching right after New Year's, uh, that preacher is going to talk one way or another about New Year's resolutions and how, and how they're not good at all. That's true. You know, uh, health clubs love New Year's. 
for the January bump, uh, but they hate February because we just go back to who we are. The new rules don't take. But the good news here, thinking about how he grows, is that Paul recognizes this. In all of Paul's theology, Paul's a wonderful theologian of Jesus. Paul knows, even as he's listing out all of these different fruit of the Spirit, he understands that just getting the the Galatians 5 tattoo in itself is not going to work. Very interesting. And Dave read this last part of verse 23 also. Commentators aren't quite sure what it means, but after Paul lists out gentleness and self-control and all the rest, he says, against such things there is no law. What do you think that means? All of these nine aspects of the fruit of the Spirit, against such things there is no law. I think what that means, and I could be wrong, but there are other commentators that think this too. What Paul is saying here, when we think about the fruit of the Spirit and like really heart-oriented, big dispositional things, the law is not able to make demands upon them. The law in itself, apart from Jesus, has no quarter and is not able to enforce these things. Even God's law let alone any human standard saying we've got to do these things. It can't do it. Against such things, there is no law. We are not dealing with the realm of law here. Does that make sense? We're dealing with with the realm of the heart enabled by God's Spirit, and that's a totally different thing. And even according to our intuitions again, isn't this why religious people are grotesque to us? Whether it's a, it's a hyper-spiritual, really legalistic Christian person or any type of religion, all about law. Kind of like the Pharisees that Jesus was constantly critical and, 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 and preaching against. The whole problem was that they were all about religious law, but we see through that. And it's all a show, and it's one giant sham. It's all hypocrisy. It's, it's just another coat of paint on the outside. But hearts are not possessed of these deeper virtues whether from a religious framework or an irreligious framework, trying harder, new set of rules, it doesn't work. How do we grow? Instead, I think this is the biblical understanding and the Pauline understanding here. It's not what we do, it's what we receive. And that is a completely, completely, completely different thing. If you want to grow in the fruit of the Spirit, receive the Spirit. If, if we are seeking to grow in the fruit of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, receive Jesus. And that's even built in to this image of fruit itself. Uh, biblically speaking, uh, what is image? And I, I went back and listened to one of Scott's sermons on fruit of the Spirit. It was really good, but I didn't go back and, and listen to the others. So, so maybe Scott or somebody else talked about this at some point. Sorry if I'm repeating. Uh, but if we think about fruit as a biblical image, what is that? Fruit is a symbol of God's good creation, of God's abundant, flourishing life, of a good creation and a good God and a good life. And these come to us through the Spirit who gives us this fruit. And we, the children of God, through Jesus, we receive the fruit of God's Spirit only through grace. Because fruit is precisely the thing that Jesus does not enjoy on the cross. We are given the fruit of the Spirit, the good gifts of a good world being redeemed by God because Jesus suffered and lacked those things for us on the cross. In the upper room, Jesus, when the hour came, reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, this is is, uh, the night before he was crucified. He said, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. 
For I tell you, I will not eat it, and eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And then Jesus took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you, from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. We are given the fruit. God shares the fruit with us because on the cross the fruit was withheld. And the only fruit that Jesus received on the cross was the sour wine. Bad fruit. God's curse. So that Jesus could take that curse upon himself that we would be given God's blessing, God's shalom. And we see on the cross of Jesus where he died and rose again, God's reckoning with evil. He takes it seriously. God looks at human trafficking. And God looks at injustice, systemic lack of gentleness and self-control. And he doesn't say, oh, human beings, they, they have their foibles, but, you know, I love them. They're so cute and cuddly at the end of the day. No. God says instead, he looks at us and he says, we are evil. And God cares about that. And that's why Jesus had to die. But where we see God's justice and wrath, righteous anger for sin, and that's what it should be. We also see God's way of forgiveness where, where God says, I have poured it out on my son. I have, I have taken the hit. I have taken the reckoning upon myself so that there can be grace. And because of that, if you are in Jesus, if, it, it, with all of your doubts and with all of your failings, just like me, if, if we still love Jesus and follow him, we're able now to look at the fruit of the Spirit without guilt. We are able to look at this list of nine things and be honest, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, and say on one hand, we strike out every day. But we're not going to beat ourselves up over that because Jesus gives grace. We have hope when we look at these things, not guilt. And there's hope for real change. The verse right after the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5, and sorry if I'm talking too loud. I, it's, still, it's, it's still a microphone thing. I don't know how, uh, how loud I can go here. But um, right after verse 23, uh, Paul says, And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And that's the end of the paragraph. It's not just all of these fruit of the Spirit, now go get the tattoo. And I hope you do better. Very interesting. Paul ends this long list of the different aspects of the fruit of the Spirit. And then he gives the encouragement to God's people. And those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Paul says that for everybody in Jesus, God for you on your behalf has made a definitive break with the old self. The self outside of Jesus can't do these things. But the new self, renewed by, by God's Spirit, God doing a work in you as we receive it by faith and repentance, God gives you help from the outside. And yes, we still struggle and have these pulls back to the works of the flesh that we see earlier in Galatians chapter 5. Yes, we're still tempted to those things, but still in a mysterious yet definitive way, the New Testament teaches there is a break with that self and with that past. Because there is help from the outside. Tony Morrison wrote Beloved. Uh, if, you've, if you've read anything by, by Tony Morrison, uh, maybe you've started with Beloved. The main character here um, it makes a very interesting statement about grace, and I would want to nuance it a little bit differently from a theological perspective, but I, feel, I still think it makes a great point. Uh, at church, while she tried to hold her mind on the wages of sin, 
Her body trembled for redemption, salvation, a mysterious rebirth that would simply happen with no effort on her part. Now, I think, you know, when we follow Jesus, it does require effort on our part. But from another perspective, this, this is exactly what grace is. Help from the outside, and it's God's effort, not our effort. And if you follow Jesus, there are new desires in you. Again, not perfectly. But if you're in Jesus, you're able to look at this fruit of the Spirit, peace, patience, love, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And there's a part of you that says, I'm really not on board with this. I'm still really striking out. But there's another part of you that says, those things look good. And even I can have these defeater beliefs and say, okay, if I actually live in the fruit of the Spirit, what am I missing out on? How much fun in my life am I not going to have if I actually live with the fruit of the Spirit? But there's still another part of me that says, that's the life that I want to live. That would be a better Jim Anger. That would be attractive to me if I would actually have more gentleness and more self-control. I'm not missing out. I'm actually being a more fulfilled, satisfied person. All again by grace. This passage is full of grace. Even this idea of work versus fruit. Works of the flesh, uh, sexual immorality, verse 19, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. Paul says those are works. But think about work versus fruit. Works, we do these things. Fruit, God gives it. It's not about human responsibility nearly as much as divine enablement. God gives it. Or even the plurality of works of the flesh versus singularity of spirit. When we work, we do all of these different things. But these are not, and Scott has talked about this, these are not fruits of the spirit in distinction from from works. There's one fruit. There's one spirit, and the fruit of the spirit unifies us as people and as community. It makes us one and orders us, gives us proper proportions all over again, all the time as, as, as we strive to receive this fruit from God, we do it in freedom because we can call out to God. Earlier in Galatians chapter 4, Paul says, because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. As we yearn and royal for God's spirit to give us that fruit and to possess it more fully, we're not saying, God, don't whack me. God, bad taskmaster, help me in this. As sons and daughters of the Most High, we cry out, Abba, Father, help me. So we do it from a, from a position of freedom, of liberty. Uh, Going to get practical, practical for a minute, then we'll close. How do we grow? Uh, personally, and you know, this may connect with you. I hope it does. Um, if not, uh, don't hate me, hate Fabio. But, uh, but, but more specifically, uh, you've got to get suspe- specific. Uh, for, for me, with a sermon like this, uh, you know, and I'm, I'm not just a pastor, I'm also a Christian. Fancy that? Like, I, I preach sermons, I also listen to them, and, and including my, my own. I, I have to hear these words as, as I speak them. Uh, the, the challenge for me uh, w- with sermons like these is to say, you know, thanks for that. Uh, good ideas in a general abstract way about gentleness and self-control. And then, like, later on on a Sunday, if somebody would ask me, 
you know, how's the sermon? Well, th- th- there were some interesting thoughts about gentleness and self-control. Then that person would ask me back, really, uh, how specifically does, does that match up with your life? And I'll come back and say, I don't know. It was just some good general thoughts about gentleness and self-control. And I, I got the warm fuzzy, and, you know, I, I have my new Hallmark cards that I'm going to go buy based on gentleness and self-control uh, now. Uh, we're not going to grow that way. The, the real growth occurs when we wrestle and not just say, okay, abstract, nice, but look at our own lives and say, where specifically am I failing with gentleness and self-control? Uh, I mentioned a couple for me earlier, uh, testy with my wife and shouting at my kids. I've got to take it there. Don't settle for just being abstract. Uh, there's going to be far less growth there. Where specifically in your life are you breaking down because you don't have gentleness and self-control? And along those same lines, be broken for those things. It's not just, yeah, uh, I colored outside the lines a little bit on gentleness and self-control, but overall, it's, it's a good picture. I'm, I'm really basically fine. Recognize how gentleness and self-control and the lack thereof hurts other people. Think about the hurt that we're causing as a good, not, not, not guilt-forming, uh, but, but a good wake-up call to say, hey, I got to do this better. And where specifically in our lives are we offending a holy God by not exercising gentleness and self-control? And walk by the Spirit. Verse 25, if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. That's Paul's way of saying get specific. Live by the Spirit, great. More specifically, where individually do we need to cry out, Abba, Father? Not just remembering God's forgiveness and God's power to us in Jesus through the Spirit, but specifically, God, help me not shout at my kids. Let me exercise more gentleness and self-control here. And build accountability in community, uh, whether home groups, Liberty Fairmount starting up, or other places. Those are great places to say, not only, you know, Aunt Martha really is having a hard time right now, uh, we're, we're waiting for the vet to come back uh, with the bottom line on her cat. Uh, please pray for her. Um, you know, apologies to Aunt Martha and to uh, cat lovers there. But, um, uh, like, these are the contexts also where we say, I need accountability in a real way, and I need your prayer for these real things. And if you're skeptical uh, about Christianity, uh, consider coming under Jesus so that you can know this power in your lives. And it's not just uh, for, for you as individuals, uh, not just for Liberty Fairmount as a church, not just for the Liberty Network, uh, but even more broadly than, than, than that, this city needs people to exercise this fruit. Philadelphia and this region cries out for gentleness and self-control. Will we be sowers of this fruit, of these things, for this city and for the good of many? How we live matters for mission. Do not separate biblical ethics from biblical mission. If we are failing and dropping the ball on the fruit of the Spirit, including gentleness and self-control, that's not just an ethical failure, that's a missional failure. As we set up light to a dark and dying world, And even globally, we cry out and we lament, God, we don't see it. 
God, on one hand, we believe that the power and renewal of, of, of the living God, the creator of the heavens and new, and new earth, have, have, have broken into the world in a new way in Jesus. But, Father, there is so much darkness. We cry out, we lament, we work, we do. And we say, Abba, Father, give us the fruit of the Spirit for a flourishing world. And finally, the fruit of the Spirit here in Galatians chapter 5, it's not only standard, it's not only resources for God's presence, but it's a gracious promise from God. That one day, and that day won't come, although we, we, we pray for that day, we long for that day, we, we reflect that day now, one day, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. This will be our world. This will be all of us. Because a good man died and rose again to bring that world and to share the fruit and the abundance of God with us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and praise you uh, for this good fruit from the Spirit given to us, Lord, uh, because this, this good person died. Jesus, would we thank you and have, have gratefulness that, that, that you were given bad fruit, bad wine, that you were withheld, Father, the fruit and the abundance and blessing of your good creation and instead took on the curse, uh, Father, that we would live. Lord, help us to grow, we pray. Help us as well, uh, Father, to know that, that there is a better world coming. Father, we thank you that Jesus has died and rose again, and that we have hope and grace for ourselves and for our, our world. Uh, would we be possessed by these things? Uh, for your glory, uh, we pray in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.